Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. there. Welcome to One Broken Mom Podcast. My name is Ami Quiriconi, and you have the privilege of listening to my very first episode here um, as I introduce the concept of um, my whole radio show, my podcast that I've got going on. Um, One Broken Mom came about because when I was growing up, I was a person who actually never wanted to have kids. And I can actually remember having conversations when I was in high school with my mother and my grandmother discussing the matter. And I was going to be going to college, I was going to be somebody, and I didn't see a future or any reason for me to be able to bring children into the world. Um, You know, not trying to date myself or age myself, but I will admit that this was the late 1980s, and there was still this era um, and this frost of the Cold War that was in the air. And so my mom thought that I was being altruistic and considerate to not bring children into a world that had, at that time, still an extremely uncertain future. My grandmother, on the other hand, um, was skeptical, and she kept telling me during this conversation, once you get older, you're going to change your mind. And I remember this conversation because it infuriated me um, to be corrected and told you know, that I was wrong and that uh, my opinion on this matter, um, she didn't believe. And so I think that was one of the reasons why this conversation you know, stuck out in my head and was etched in my memories. But the other part was, is that it would turn out much later that my grandmother was actually right. Um, And so when I was 18 years old, as soon as I could move out of the house and move into the campus down at Kansas State University, I did. I got the heck out of Dodge. And I was dating somebody at the time um, who I'd met as a sophomore in high school. And he, too, had zero interest in starting a family. And so we both had these self-centered ambitions to get college degrees, get good jobs. And when we graduated, we were going to go anywhere we wanted to in the world. And even marriage was something that was an afterthought to us. We did, however, end up getting married, and we um, went ahead and tied the knot the June after our graduation. Um, But I will admit now that it was something that I think we both really felt like we were forced into doing. It was something that, you know, at that time, everybody had to do that when you moved on in life. Um, But I can tell you, guarantee that both of us lacked any kind of genuine enthusiasm for the whole concept. Um, But... Instead of calling the wedding off, I, you know, found it would probably be more troublesome to um, have to tell everybody we weren't getting married than to just go through with it and figure it out as we, you know, um, moved on. Um, We didn't invite anybody really to the wedding. We kept it all very low key, low cost. Um, And in lieu of a honeymoon, we just packed up a moving truck, a trailer, and we drove to Seattle. Um, 
So I come from Kansas and chose Seattle because in the 1990s, it was the coolest city in the world. And I loved music. We both loved sports and we loved the outdoors. And we had nothing holding us back, no children, no family. And this was literally the furthest point on the map that got us away from where we grew up. And so it almost felt like we were cliche. We were Kansas kids and we were heading off to the Emerald City. However, um, not surprisingly, in two short years, um, my husband would become my first ex-husband, and he'd be sent packing up his car and going back home to Kansas. Um, I, on the other hand, had no intentions of ever going back, and so I stayed. Um, And to be honest, it's because I had my uh, eyes on someone else. Um, It was a guy that I worked with at the engineering firm, which was my job when I moved out to Seattle. Um, He wasn't an engineer, but he was the IT guy. And we actually had become good friends because he had wanted to date a roommate that I had over the summer who was interning at our firm. Um, He wasn't the typical guy that I dated or slept with. Um, And by that, I mean he wasn't the athletic, traditionally handsome and self-assured types. Um, But what caught my attention about him was that he was great with kids. Um, At a bunch of the company events and gatherings that we had, the employees would all bring their families. And this guy just had this ease with children um, that I had never really seen before. And I think that there were some pieces of him that felt more comfortable being around children than standing around having all the adult conversations. But I was watching him from afar, and there were these feelings inside of me of, you know, maybe parenthood was not something that was foreign or something that I couldn't really um, enjoy, especially if I had somebody like him who could be an equal partner in that endeavor with me. And so he and I would date for a couple of years before we got married, and then we'd be married a couple of years. And during that time, we hadn't even thought or commented about having kids. But then a switch went off. Um, in my head, and that was probably around 2001 that caught us both kind of in an unsuspecting moment. To this day, I still can't explain why I developed, you know, what it described as a devastating ache to be a mother all of a sudden. Um, But by the time October um, came around in 2001, I had already enrolled and was starting a master's degree, and I was pregnant. And a friend of mine had joked that um, once I had decided I was going to be a mom, I just willed myself right into, um, into motherhood. And so when my son was born the following summer, I had left my engineering job so that I could become a full-time mob and work on completing my degree. And I loved it, um, partly because the stress of all the clients that I had was gone, and I was in the throes of academia, and I was learning, which I love, and my mind was free to wander and create. And it would be during this time that I actually would uh, develop an idea and a plan on how to create a recycled building material from waste paper and cement while my son was taking these really nice long naps during the day. The challenge I had was that, however, when my husband would come home um, after having spent most of the day um, without an adult around, um, I would be anxious to be able to share with him my ideas that I had um, and started to discover that his interest in my idea wasn't you know, as strong as mine. And so at that point in time, the cracks in our relationship were slowly starting to develop. They were nothing major, nothing that couldn't have been fixed if they were properly attended to. But my business, Squawk Mountain Stone, um, took shape in this little shed out in back of our home, and our equal parenting partnership started to feel a little less equal. Um, He had the benefit and the privilege of having a career that he could go to during the day and then come home and hang out and spend time um, with me and with our son. But what I was beginning to see was that I couldn't really do the same. Um, I was the full-time mom, and if I wasn't... Uh, doing that or performing that on a on a pretty regular basis, then it was something that was becoming a burden to our family. But 
the power of the idea that I had, I couldn't be stopped. And so I pursued it as strongly as I willed myself into motherhood. And we would end up moving to a bigger home with a bigger garage so that I had the space to continue. Now, after having a son, I had wanted to have a second child, and I wanted them to be within a couple of years in age. I grew up um, with younger siblings, and sometimes the big gaps between us um, made the relationship you know, very hard, and I didn't want that for my kids. Um, but because I had picked up the torch of entrepreneurship, my husband didn't think that the time was right to have another child. But again, I would actualize another child into the world right on the schedule I was holding in my heart. For the first couple of months of my pregnancy, my husband was uneasy and uptight because he hadn't wanted the second kid, Um, but I finally told him that I refused to continue to be pregnant with him while him chiming in his animosity in my ear on a daily basis, or we'd end up with a sarcastic child as a result. And between you and me, sometimes when I look at my daughter, I think that's exactly what happened. Um, He finally lightened up and embraced it, and especially after we found out we were having a girl, which was the first one born in his family in five generations. He also had these fears that I wasn't going to be able to do the business and be pregnant at the same time, and those were quickly um, displaced. In fact, if you tell me that I can't do something, and I'll make sure that I'm going to have you eat your words. I continued to develop my concept. I moved from garage to a shop. I started beta testing so that I could figure it all out further, and with the help of my mother-in-law to help me watch my son as well as good friends on weekends after my stomach got so big I couldn't lift things and uh, my mobility was reduced, I willed this product into existence as well. In fact, true story, on February 22nd, 2005, my husband would take a few hours off from work to come down to my shop in Woodenville so that he could get into a forklift and help load up my first order of Squawk Mountain Stone. Um, I wasn't able to actually fit into the forklift at that time because I was like within days of having a second baby. That delivery was going off to uh, my first client ever, which was the Environmental Home Center. And I had really wanted to make sure that this order happened before I gave birth. And like I said, that could have been at any moment. And so I said to him, once the order was loaded up on that flatbed, I said, now I can go into labor. And at midnight that night, I did. I gave birth to my daughter at 11 a.m. on February 23rd, 2005. And my life at this moment was startling right on schedule. Aside from the normal acrimony a married couple will experience, life was actually pretty good for us for several years. And I was balancing motherhood with entrepreneurship quite well. And my little recycled content countertop business was building steam. That is until 2008 and the recession hit the country. In the fall of that year, after a steady rise in sales, increased distribution around the country, the bottom fell out of the housing market almost instantly. One month, I had a six-figure option to sell my company to my major distributor, and then the next month, they were scrambling to stay in business. My husband thought I should just give it all up and walk away. And to be honest, I hated him for that. Towards the end of the year, right before Thanksgiving, I'd be contacted by another local company who had started their own competitive product, But unfortunately, they never got a chance to bring it to market before the collapse. And they wanted to know if I was interested in a partnership. Figuring there was safety in numbers, I had the experience of bringing a product from vision to production, and they had money. So we did it. And that changed everything for me. I was still happily doing the work of balancing mom with boss. In fact, I'd be profiled in a book called Mom Incorporated. But in less than two years, the relatively stable life I'd been living also collapsed under the intense strain of work. And it wasn't the hurdles of the recession. It was the business partners and his abusiveness. I was broken daily and sent home in pieces. And at home, there was nobody there to pick them up. And I found myself with a new aching feeling resonating inside of me. And it said, run. And so I did. 
Most of you may know the story of the next several years. Um, story involves girl meets boy, girl moves to farm, um, turns into weekend mom for a while, and manages to develop a successful wedding business, blah, blah, blah. And if you don't know this, I tell everybody, just check it out on Facebook. It's all been well-documented there for the last seven years. But then again in 2016, as my son is entering middle school, and after five years of them coming to my place and being at ease with me while spending our weekends together, I started to not only feel guilty for what I'd done, but that maternal aching that I felt back in 2001 was growing again. And I wanted my kids back. And unlike those days in 2009, when motherhood had left me feeling resentful, much like I had felt as a young woman who never wanted to have a family, I was ready to do it again. And so as if on schedule, in May of 2017, the kid's dad had said he couldn't do it anymore. And either I took them or he'd figure something else out. And I said yes. And it would take another two months before my boyfriend would finally admit that he didn't want to have them live with us in our home. And so my kids and I would have to start all over again together. But despite the want to have them, parts of it felt foreign to me. When my daughter would come in to hug, I'd bristle. And not because I didn't love that girl with all my heart, but because that affectionate act just didn't feel normal to me. I found myself catering to my son's every need, but leaving my daughter to fend for herself. And it wouldn't be until December that my eyes would finally be opened to the mortifying truth. I was indeed a broken woman, a broken mom. And if I didn't fix it, I was going to leave my children with the same delusions and issues imprinted on their lives as I had on mine. And despite my can-do attitude and my resiliency that I developed in my life, I did not want them to have to struggle for their self-perception the way that I had. But being broken isn't what you think it means. Who I really am wasn't changed or mangled. What was broken was a scaffolding that had been built up around me through my childhood. It took overwhelming experiences, not once, but twice, to initiate the seismic shifts necessary to free myself from all the roles I'd been asked to play as I was growing up. But more importantly, it took a state of awareness, a willingness to stare into the darkness for a very long time, so long that your eyes have a, a chance to adjust to it and you can finally see. I had to also see that over the last few years, away from my kids, instead of getting rid of scaffolding, I was subconsciously working to reinforce it, even against my own deepest desires. But it also took fear, and it has taken being afraid of what would happen if I didn't make any changes, that primal maternal fear that drives us to protect our offspring from all danger, even if it's from ourselves. Because the truth is this, the most powerful, awesome, and dangerous person we will ever have in our lives is our mother, period. And so that's why I'm doing this. I'm going to talk about moms. And a mother here is not the binary term we know. In this day and age, some of our children don't have a mother at all. So this is about our primary caregiver, our first and most important love affair, the one that will measure and base all of our relationships on forever. This is also not a criticism of mothers. I'm a mother. This is about awareness. Thanks to science and research of the human brain and development that simply we didn't have access to or didn't exist for generations. We've had instincts on how to parents, and we've passed those down from generation to generation and simply lived with the consequences. But now we don't have to. We have allowed centuries-old cultural beliefs to dominate our parenting knowledge. And somewhere along the way, we have been corrupted into believing that becoming harder is the key to our survival. 
And we've been compounding those mistakes generation after generation. We are frustrated and unhappy adults today, and we wonder why it's happening. It's no wonder that the self-help industry is a $10 billion a year market. So this is about having your two feet underneath you planted in two worlds that we're going to talk about together during our One Broken Mom podcasts. One is you as an adult, doing your best at your job, life, relationships, whatever, but not feeling like your best is good enough. We're going to explore why that might be the case. And the other foot, for some of you, is as a parent today, with kids whose emotional development you are and can influence for the better. We're going to talk about how a broken and vulnerable parent can unintentionally pass down to their own kids the very things that they're struggling with now. And if you don't have kids now or ever will, this doesn't mean this won't apply to you. You'll still gain valuable awareness of our culture and society and see the ways in which we all as citizens on this earth can begin to understand what is really ailing us. So, the episodes that you can expect to find here on One Broken Mom. We're going to talk about broken moms in history. We're going to talk about the role of psychology and the role of mothers and how they've evolved from one psychologist and psychotherapist to the next. We're going to explore things like attachment theory and talk about our first love and our first heartbreak. We're going to dive into topics related to neuroscience and brain development and talk about things like brain architecture, the HPA access and stress responses. We're going to get into a little bit on epigenetics, and I promise that this isn't going to be boring and be talking over your head, but I want to feed you the scientific basis for this knowledge and experience that we have today. We're going to explore the different types of moms that are out there the ones that are the bad moms. We're going to talk about narcissistic moms, immature moms, abusive moms. We're going to talk about broken moms. We're going to talk about ignorant moms. And we're going to talk about working moms, all in an effort not to shame any woman out there or any parent or caregiver that's in that role of mother, but to find and define what are those pieces that can influence the life of their child, not as kids today, but as the adult that they're going to be. We're going to talk about the cultural biases and the myths that work against mothers and their children. This whole concept of mothering and coddling is a bad thing, especially boys. We're going to talk about this idea that boys don't understand emotions as well as girls. And we're going to talk about why girls get put into roles of being parents as young children before they're ready for that kind of a a responsibility. We'll touch on topics like misogyny and sexism. And quite frankly, how do those develop? We'll even talk about feminism and this love-hate relationship we have with gender equality. And we'll talk about what our moms taught us about love and relationships and how our personal relationships as adults are affected by how we grew up and the relationships that we had with our family. And then we'll get into what's next, neuroplasticity and therapy. I want to be able to bring in some of the best researchers and writers talking about topics such as emotional neglect. I want to have compassionate and compelling conversations with families affected by suicide so that we can understand the dynamics that were involved and so that we can look in and hopefully find ways to prevent one of the biggest killers in our country. I'm going to be talking with people that can link childhood traumas with chronic disease. And I would love to be able to share with you what teachers think what's going on in the role of education and the challenges that our schools have with addressing things like bullying and whether or not there are opportunities in our educational system to start adding discussions of neuroscience and emotional development and treat it the same way we do nutrition. I can't say this enough. One broken mom is not about finger pointing. 
and trust me, I've grappled with this for some time now, we're going to have some unflattering conversations about our childhood, and it will leave us with guilt and maybe even a little anger towards our mothers and our parents, especially if some of you out there were completely failed by them. But you have to remember, they didn't know any better. And yes, some of you have experienced inexcusable abuse at the hands of those who were supposed to love and protect you, and you can't change that. And I'm sorry if that's who you are. But I'm a ridiculous optimist. Some parts of us will remain broken forever, and no amount of knowledge or self-awareness or positive thinking, meditation, or whatever is going to undo some of that neural or epigenetic impact to your body. However, I am hopeful that some of you listening or watching the videos or reading the posts will get to a point where you see that by taking a rigorous approach to healing. And by that, I mean finding yourself a therapist who can help guide you along the way. You will get better. So welcome to One Broken Mom. Whether there is only one of you or thousands, I'm grateful to have you here with me. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear about, or if you're interested in sponsoring the show, please email me through my website, which is amiquiricone.com. That's A-M-E-E-Q-U-I-R-I-C-O-N-I.com. Thank you. One Broken Mom is recorded at Beehive Sound in historic Snohomish, Washington. 